Hey guys, we produce this podcast for no other reason than to have a positive impact on the lives of you guys, the listeners, by sharing the stories and lessons of some incredible business owners. If you'd like to support our show, please head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate us five stars and leave a review. Your review would be greatly appreciated and keeps us going. And now back to the show. Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Sabrina Matic, the founder and CEO of Avanti Search, a recruitment agency specializing in the corporate and healthcare space. Sabrina started her company to build and create the lifestyle she wanted, and she has become a celebrated entrepreneur in doing so. In this episode, Sabrina and I discuss what the current recruitment environment is like and how companies need to be adapting to attract the best talent the importance of marketing your team and company authentically when recruiting, and how to create a company that creates the lifestyle that you want as the founder. Sabrina is a wildly impressive businesswoman. Enjoy the show. So your business is a lifestyle business. Is that how you described it in that you started it to have the lifestyle you want? Absolutely. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. The role I was in before I started Avanti Search was running recruitment globally for one of the biggest wine companies in the world. And that required me working Aussie hours to be with my Aussie team members, UK hours to be with them. So we're talking 14, 15 hour days. Watching my now husband, then fiance, who was a recruitment agent, twiddling his thumbs and putting in, you know, six to seven hour days and just making a killing. And I remember thinking to myself, why wouldn't I build that kind of flexibility into my life, firstly? Secondly, why wouldn't I earn the money that he makes for an agency? Why wouldn't I just make it for me directly? Um, and thirdly, why don't I bring that that missing link to the recruitment agency market, which is someone who's worked internally inside of businesses, bringing that approach to external recruitment? But what, what I like about the concept is more that like, yeah, business is the goal of business. It isn't always and doesn't always have to be to be the biggest, baddest business in the jungle. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be dagger or market. Like the purpose of a business is yes to provide a great good or service to to a customer, but it's to serve the founder. You know, because you started the business, you assumed all the risk, you put in all the work. The business has to provide you the life that you're searching for. And in your case, it was it was not to have to become huge and open offices and get all these staff and have the business consume your life. In your case, it was, no, I want to make great money and have great flexibility so I can travel and, and do whatever, whatever else I want. You've got it. We had several friends open up agencies of their own and scale really quickly. And they just tied themselves back into the nine to five. They had all of these people to manage they weren't billing themselves anymore. So their greatest strengths were set aside to be business managers and team managers. Um, and they just lost all of that, that joy and flexibility in the work. They made good money, but it wasn't even that much more than what they were making when they were just billing directly for themselves. So that was a really conscious choice for me. And I remember recently we went, I went to a core group actually, and we went around the table with what's the vision for your business. And about eight core members before me were like growth, scaling, expansion, growth, scaling, expansion. And it came to me and I was like, lifestyle. <laughs> um, and I had to be honest because I was, uh, I'll give you an example. I've just traveled for seven months and was able to work however and, and wherever I wanted to. And I think that is invaluable. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It's, 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 and I also think that it's been something, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've got two um, friends um, who are both new mums who started their business. Actually, they started their business, I think, when they became pregnant or around then. But they started it because they wanted flexibility, but they also wanted, like, good money. And so, it, like, the purpose of their business, they, they, one of them's name's Beth. She actually sold me on the idea of not having an office and the benefit of not needing an office because her goal was to spend time with her family, um, and, and, and make better money, like have the flex, be her own boss, have the flexibility. And she didn't need the office uh, to do that. And I was like, you know what? That's such an interesting viewpoint. Cause like my thing was always like, no, I want to be the biggest. And hers was like, no, I want to make the best business for me. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, that's fucking genius. That's actually smarter than that. that that's really clever. And I feel like it's been like, a, it, 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 and when I said, correct me if I'm wrong, 
I've, I've noticed it more. Women have really innovated that space more than, than men have. I think there's less of that aggressive approach to we've got to be the beast and the best, the Daniel Harkov approach. <laughs> um, the maybe dopey maybe approach. just like, can I say it? Like there's, I think there's just a lot less ego and a lot more thinking, particularly post-pandemic when we all had to reevaluate the way we lived and worked um, and what was actually important to us. And so if you take ego away and ego is usually gratified by, yeah, how do I get to top of the ladder either in revenue or in size? then it really becomes about what satisfies me outside of my ego, what makes me really happy in the day-to-day. And if that's just money to fund however you crazily want to live your world, then fantastic. Yeah. Build a business for you yeah. is essentially like that concept. Yes. Now, I, I just – I had never thought of it actually until Bethany said it to me. And I was so – like that's such a fantastic concept um, to have. And I reckon it will create a lot more – opportunity in the business world because also it makes business less intimidating. It's not like I need to have a business that's huge and successful. You know, that's not the, which can be very difficult and is all consuming and and, and all these type of things. It's not, I want a business that makes my life exactly how I want it. And that is dependent on you, which means that other people don't dictate what success is. You do. Yes. Yeah, and that's an empowering, I'd imagine, that's an empowering feeling. Extremely empowering. And the other thing is you, you start to live your values through the business, whereas when you start to become accountable to, let's say, a board or multiple business partners or whatever it is, you start thinking um, strategically for the market that you're in and that can really dictate the way your business is run and how ethical you are or how you represent yourself as a brand in the market. When your core goal is to to work a lifestyle business and do the best by you, that also means doing the best by your value set. So I could really look at what are the things I want to be as a recruiter in the market, even if everyone else finds that a little bit odd and, and I'm you know forging my own path, and can I make a success out of my way rather than the usual way? And thank God it worked really, really well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we just got back from a seven month. Exactly. Well, yeah. world, world, where'd you go? And we went all over Europe, the States, the Caribbean, and we also did Thailand. That's incredible. It was fantastic. It was something like 45 destinations over 14, 15 countries. But the amount that would have added to your life as well, like in terms of like experience and world understanding and knowledge and relationships that you would have made and, you know, just knowledge of the world in general. Like it's, it's like that in itself is pretty priceless. Absolutely. And you just, when you're a recruiter, you can't help but talk to people about their work. So I now have (laughs) a global understanding of what the market looks like um, from real people's perspectives. So that's been really interesting. It's just anecdotal evidence for whether things in Australia are mirrored overseas or not um, and how businesses are handling the current market. It's true though. Like as a recruiter, you have that, you've got a topic that you can talk to anyone about because pretty much like most people have a job or had a job or their partner has a job. So like you've always, like you'll never be stuck in a situation where you've got nothing to talk about. You know, you, you can always talk. It's like me talking to business people. Like, in fact, I probably stopped talking when this not a business person next to me. Like, oh shit, what do I say? You know, <laughs> but you've mastered it with with anyone, and that's pretty just a cool perk of the job. But so you were a recruiter internally, um, and I, you, I think you mentioned you were the head uh, of recruitment for, for for a very large company. So you were in that space. You knew that space. So when it came to time to for you to start a business, obviously you knew that space. You want to stay in it. But what was the opportunity that you identified that was like, okay, I could be successful by starting this business. I could be different. It was post-pandemic market boom. You know, we we had so many Aussie businesses letting go of their staff during the pandemic. Um, I was one of them. I was made redundant in the first six months of the pandemic. Yeah, and because we no had, one's hiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we had 90% of the recruitment team of this big business I was a part of let go of because no one was hiring. So why do you need recruiters, right? Same with salespeople. Why do you need salespeople? There's nobody to sell to. People can't buy half the products that were out there or services that were out there. So... You know, Australian redundancy laws are such that you need 12 months before you can even re-recruit for a role once you've made it redundant. So once that 12-month period had passed and the pandemic started to ease up a little bit and businesses started to operate the way they once did, ta-da, they needed all of these people that they'd let go of in that period and they were like, recruiters, help. You know, we can't do it by ourselves. We don't even have our own recruiters to do it with. 
Uh, and I just went, oh my God, I'm watching all my agency friends just go gangbusters. And I'm like, me, I, that could be me. I've got to get in there now. And I just took the leap. See, a bad situation often is the best thing that happens to you. You know, pandemic happens, you get let go or made redundant um, and boom, now you have a the best lifestyle you want, you've got your own business and you travel seven months of the year. Yeah. You know, isn't that incredible? Like, but, but that's a choice to find. It's like a lot of people could be like, oh, damn, I'm done. Like I think successful people in general, um, business people, um, they, they find the, the positive that's going to come. You know, when there's a negative outcome, there's always a positive one that can come from it. It's just a matter of having the mindset of finding it. Very, very true. And then having the mindset to push past the fear and just go for it. How did you overcome that? Like how did you overcome the mental um, stress of like, what, what would you call it when you're starting a business, that feeling? The feeling is one of apprehension and hopefulness that, you know, your, your huge gamble because it's always a risk will pay off. Um, made worse when you have mates around you going, are you sure you want to do this? You've never done this before. You know, so there's a lot of people that are trying to protect you from what they presume will be failure um, questioning you and putting doubt into your mind when there's already probably some doubt there. So pushing past that and just going, no, no, there's a reason I made this decision to begin with is because I have full confidence that I can do this thing was my, was my goal. And I thank God I managed to do it. But if you ask me how or why, like, where does that ingredient come from? I am the daughter of immigrants who were tenacious as all get out when I was younger. You know, they made something out of nothing like that traditional um, rags to riches story. And they did it in the face of huge odds against them at a time when Australia was really discriminatory to people of a minority ethnic background. You know, I'm half Lebanese, I'm half Indian, and both my parents had it tough. I even had a, a little bit of discrimination growing up as well. So despite those stereotypes, they managed to push through and create really successful um, business themselves. And I think watching them do it, I was just like, I can do it too. Why not? That's so funny. That's, that's very much similar to me in the sense, like I can understand, I can relate to what you're saying. It's if they can do what they did with nothing, it's, ac it's, it's actually less than nothing because you know, they can't even speak the language. No one wants to talk to them. They don't get hired because their, na their names and things like that. So they're forced to start a business because no one wants to hire them and then they do well or, or whatever happens. And then you're like, if they did all of that with literally nothing, then surely with everything that they've given me, I can do a lot more. You know, I, I, I in fact, I should be doing a lot more. Yes. I so agree with that. The, I always say to my husband, do you realize how lucky we are to be born into the circumstances we've been born into? Like the raw ingredients we've been given, not just in terms of our natural traits, but being positioned in a country like Australia, you know, with some form of even mild wealth behind you, being above the poverty line and, and having an, uh, a Western education, let's say when you're already in a Western country, that alone should be a jumping off point to do great things with your career. I really believe that. But as you said, when you see people who were already on such a back foot, not only do they have nothing, they have less than nothing yeah. um, succeed. That's even more of a motivator. I had one teacher, um, say something to me once. It's probably the only thing I remember any teacher ever saying to me. But it was at um, an international school in Paris, which is where I went. And it, it, it was an American school, so they don't have history. It was called social studies. Anyway, his name was Mr. Friendly. And, like, on the first day, he walked up to the whiteboard and drew, like, a line with, like, two little balls at, at each end. And he was like... This is like the line of success in life or whatever he called it. This is, you know, this is the start, the point on the left, and this is like, you know, success. And he goes, just because you're at this school, you guys are here. And he literally like drew a line through right before the end. He's like, you're all, like, you're so lucky. You, you're skipping all of, all of this. And I never forgot that. I was like, that's such a true statement. It's like what you were describing. It's like, you know, if you're born in Australia, such a great country, with even moderate means and, and just a decent education, you're so far ahead of 99% of the world. Um, and, and, and that should be remembered. 
more than it is. So true. And I love that. I got goosebumps as you were speaking to put yourself that far close to success because of the ingredients you've been given. So, so correct. Yeah. It all would almost be an insult if you fucked it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Which, which happens because you actually see that with like a lot of, um, you know, uh, wealthy children and things. Like a lot of them have a lot of pressure and things like that and they get into drugs and they, you know, because they freak out. They're like, oh, shit, like I've got big expectations to live up to. Am I really going to be able to do that? They don't really push and test it in life. So, and a lot of them end up funny. So, so it is, I imagine it would be a pressure. Yeah. And, and the recruitment space at the moment, what is it like? Like what's the current recruitment environment? It's so interesting in Australia, all the trends are finally pointing towards a return to post uh, to pre pandemic levels. In terms so, of hiring? Mm, in terms of hiring, um, hiring rates, and unemployment. So unemployment is at 3.9% right now, which is quite steady over the last eight to nine months now. We also have a really interesting trend happening where because of the financial climate, both employers and candidates are just being more fussy and picky. So there are the same amount of jobs out there as there used to be, but people are more reticent to take them or will take their sweet time before accepting an offer. And employers will take their sweet time before making one. Um, it used to be something like 60 to 65% of an ideal candidate criteria had to be met for an employer to just press the go button. And now it's, it's, if they don't have 95% of what you're looking for, they're just so cautious. Why so do you think that is? I think it's just um, weariness about what might happen in the financial climate and therefore affect their business. So if this person isn't perfect, it's not worth spending money on. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. we we I mean, we, we're like that right now. Yeah. Because- I mean, I'm real conscious. I think this year is going to be a good year because the U.S. elections at the end of the year. So I think, you know, Democrats are going to be wanting to make the economy real good um, before the election. So I think we're going to have a good year. Yeah. But whatever happens after the election, I, I think either way, we're, it's going to be interesting. Mm. And and definitely there's going to be some, like, um, hesitance to spend money or do anything, make mm. any moves around that period. So I think this year is going to be good. So when we're hiring, because we've, I think we've already recruited three people this year, they were all on the money. None of them, like you're saying, were 60%. Like we were bringing them on with with a lot of confidence because because I do, while I think this year is going to be good, I do want to maintain a lean company for, you know, potentially end of the year, early next year. I think um, it makes good business sense. I think one opportunity that yourself and other business owners might like to consider is how can you leverage the huge temporary workforce that's out there right now? So I'll give you some data. We had 500,000 migrants approved work in Australia last year. Um, if we go even further to that skilled work visa, three years ago, I think end of 2021, it was um, 19,000 visas were granted. And at the end of last year, it was 131,000 visas granted. So you've got this influx of people that can't become a permanent staff member of yours, but have great skill sets and are ready to work now for a short period of time. So when your team is too lean and you're like, I can't, I just don't want to spend money and invest time in somebody that's going to come on board as a permanent staff member, but I kind of need more bodies on deck for now there is a huge temporary workforce waiting to be leveraged. And we've pivoted as a business I only ever used to do perm recruitment. Now I do temporary and contract recruitment as well. Oh, and so how do you find those people? How do you advertise for those people? Like what, do you, you're just asking for part-time or what, what are you asking for? Yeah, so we, we, we talk to people who have literally been in, I'm going to say like one to six-month gigs on repeat, which usually – uh, shows that they are on some sort of visa situation, either that or they're really bad. So, but we can quickly determine <laughs> why is it that you we jump from job to job. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and honestly, 90% of the time it's because they're a temporary worker. Um, and then we talk to them from there. We say, would you consider, yeah, a part-time or full-time arrangement? For how long for? Uh, what does your visa allow you to do? And we, we broach the parameters that way and, and then guide them on the right path. An issue I've always had, and I'd be curious on your thoughts with recruitment agencies in general, is that, well, the agency gets paid when they place the person. Right. And, and it's the salesperson that really wants that commission. Right. So, so the incentive for the agency is to place the person. And so their incentive is to actually not 
really say the person's bad or whatever. It's to, it's to sell that person. And then if that person gets fired, they can just replace them somewhere else anyway and make double the money on them. So how do you avoid, like, first of all, what is your opinion on that? And second, how do you avoid that hesitation or, or that stigma that is out there on, on recruitment agencies? I think this is where our unique selling point comes into its own because as an internal recruitment leader, my prerogative was always to make sure that the best possible people joined our business. I wasn't just trying to fill roles for my company. I was trying to fill the roles with the very best of staff. So in dealing with agencies at the same time, they were like, forget the very best of staff. Here's a guy for you right now. Take him or leave him. Ah, you know, and they create that sense of urgency and you end up placing someone that's not great at all. And that was one of the reasons that I went, screw this. I'm going to start something that's a lot more caring than that has a better quality of service. So my opinion is that's bullshit. I would never play the game that way. I think it's just a bunch of rubbish. Um, it does happen. About, it happens all the time, mm. but not with us, but it happens all the time. And that is why we do better, you know, just quite simply. There is also another thing that m most agencies offer, which is a three month or sometimes six month replacement guarantee. Never works. But exactly. You know why? Yeah. They already have the money. You've got it. So why would I give you a good so why, if I have this great talent, why would I give you that person? I already have your money. I'll give you someone else. And Absolutely. eventually you're going to not care anymore. And place the great talent and, somewhere else. Exactly. And get mm. money off that person. So yep. it's a, it's a, I even had this scenario once and this was the most sh shocking. Um, we've also had very many good scenarios with, with recruiters. For example, uh, one recruiter we absolutely love is MJT or D? MJD. Uh, recruitment, which is a, have you met a member, a fellow cup member, Martin Deneen? No. Amazing man. You should meet him. Okay. You'd love him. And, and Set it up. He, yeah, I will. He, he owns his company and he, he's placed us like four or five people all successfully. Um, but I had one person once, and, and I'm only saying this so listeners can keep an eye out for this. So this person placed someone at this company, they placed someone, then uh, we paid the invoice in full, obviously, for the placement. But I think it was one day late or two days late. We didn't, I didn't know at the time it was when accounts paid it was when they paid it. And when we went to say, to claim, to claim the, hey, listen, this person didn't work out, you know, we, uh, you know, can you find us someone else? They said, no, nah, you've, you paid the thing one day too late. It was literally a day or two days too late uh, past the invoice due date. Therefore, we're not liable to pay you back. And I was like, wow, first of all, you are probably the dumbest person I've ever spoken to. Absolutely. Because the fact How that you would say that, yeah, yeah, so you're dumb. It's yeah. it's dumbness. It's not it's not anything else. Uh, if dumbness is a word. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> idiocy. Shit. See, this is one of those things I told you we have to edit sometimes. <laughs> but 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 that is just such poor form. You know what that is? That's business from the 80s. I completely yeah. agree with you. Oh, look, you reneged on this tiny little bit of the clause, therefore nothing we agreed to is yeah. valid. Go screw yourself, seriously. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. It, it, it's wild. Anyway, um, so wait, what were we talking about before I went on that? Um, um, we're talking about, about the market and then we went into um, – yeah, when, when Sorry, agencies so, don't honour things. No, part-time. Yeah. So, oh, yes, part, contract recruitment. So contract, contract recruitment. Income. So that's a new thing and it's a good solution to having to bulk rather than bulking up your full-time you know, monthly costs, look for, um, what do you call it, contract recruitment. Yeah, contractors or temporary workers. And if someone wasn't going to go through a recruiter, which, I mean, it's normally better to because it's easier, but if you weren't going to, how do you – find contract people. It has to be through your network. Do you know why? Because advertising isn't usually looked at by contractors. They have such a ready network of agents already placing them left, right and centre. And then they usually know people that'll say, oh yeah, my mate's looking for X. It's just a much faster paced environment. So to post up an ad and then review responses as they come through and then slowly go through your interview process just doesn't really work as well for the contracting yeah, space. Yeah, because it's hard because they're not on LinkedIn either. Mm, if exactly. Yeah, so some you, are, some are, yeah. but yeah, you're right. But not a as large often. majority would yes. be. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't be guessing that, but you'd guess some of them wouldn't be. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, well, how do you find them? Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, the best way probably is going to a recruiter then. Yeah. And are there recruiters that specialise in that thing? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There are, there are agencies that are fully in the contract and temping space for certain industries. Um, there are agencies like mine that are in certain industries and do both. So good bet either way. Are you finding at the moment that there are issues with um, employee-employer alignment in terms of 
what the employee wants and what the employer wants to provide. My God, yes. Always. Look, this is the age-old problem in recruitment, right? Employers want the best that they can find for the least money they can get and candidates want the best that they can find for the most money that they can get. So salary is always going to be probably the biggest conflict point. Um, One piece of advice for employers right now is salaries are higher than they have ever been and they are higher than they were this time last year and that time the year before. It's not going to end anytime soon. The demand for good talent is higher and therefore people just writing their paychecks. I've had people, employers say to me, oh, Sabrina, what do you mean they're asking for, let's say, 100,000 plus super? My most junior staff member that I hired two years ago is on, you know, 65,000 plus super. And my answer is always, you, you got lucky hiring when you did. Um, you probably haven't uplifted them nearly to where they should be now. So the pay bumps haven't been at a good pace for that particular person you've employed. Now, if you're looking at people outside of your current staff base, that's just what they need in terms of money. It is as simple as that. I think one of the ways that you can get around the question mark though, of you know how recruiters make their fee based on the salary that's paid. Therefore recruiters will also play the game of trying to push the highest salary as possible Try and agree to a flat percentage or even flat fee with your recruiter and then you know that they're not as motivated to play that game. It's just about making sure that it's the right number for the two of you. Or you could say we'll have a flat fee of $6,000. let us just – I'm making that up. Yeah. $6,000. Yes. I'd be willing to spend a hundred grand, but if you find me someone for eighty thousand, yeah. we'll pay you ten. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Motivate yeah. us in the opposite, yeah, opposite direction. direction. You're like, find us someone cheap, and you can get the rest. Yeah. I love that. It's like buys agents. You know, it's they get paid. So ethical, Daniel. I'm not sure about that one. It's very. <laughs> it's extraordinarily ethical. I think it's it's good for all parties. But but um, um, the money thing is an interesting one because people are getting paid more now. And to be honest, people need more now to live. Everything costs more money. But the fear that I have with paying people too much and hiring in those markets, which I do have that fear, and, and to be honest, I'll never do it. I'll never pay anyone more than I think they're worth because the second something gets rough, times get rough, you've got your eye on that person because you know they're not good value for money. And when times are tough, the bad value for money is out. That's the first people out is bad value for money. And, and not in our case, um, it never has been, um, but new staff are always also typically, statistically first to go and they're normally the highest paid. So they do have that, like, you know, if you're an employee looking for a job, there, you should also consider that. It's kind of like, mm, okay, well, if I reach too high, am I making myself to, or even if you're an employee that's looking for a raise, you know, or are too big of a raise or want too much money. Am I putting a target yeah, on my am, back? Exactly. Am I, am I making, am I crossing the line from, cause there's three, there's, there's good value on the money and bad value. Yeah. You know, and you always have some in all of those facets, like as a business, cause things happen throughout the business. So you end up having some, the more you can have in the good value. Great. The, to, to be honest, probably the more you have that are on the money is best cause it's fair for everyone. Yes. But but you've got to be careful of that, of that overreaching with the too much money because, you know, there could be a financial crisis next year. You know, and what's going to happen? It's the yeah. bad value that goes first. Absolutely. And so I have a question for you because this has always been a curiosity for me in terms of employer thinking. How do you qualify what a person is worth? You know, when you take this statement, I always pay what I think someone is worth. You don't perhaps have your fingers in as many data pies as recruiters who are talking to the same types of candidates every day do. So how do you determine a person's worth in the current economy? No, I, do, I, I know exactly what they're worth. I know what the company is willing to pay for that specific role. And is that role a revenue generating role or not? Mm. So I'll know exactly what they're worth. Mm-hmm. I don't care what other people are willing to pay them. If they're stupid enough to pay them more, then that's their problem. That's not mine. That's why Cub does really well. And why through COVID, Cub grew. It's because we don't make decisions. It's kind of like, it's kind of like property. Would you buy, like, is it best to buy property? Was it a good decision to go buy a farm in the middle of COVID? Of course not. It was the highest property, like regional property prices probably ever in the history of the world. You know, it's not a good time to do it. So therefore, is it a good time to hire a lot of people when 
staffing costs are very high and global economic outlooks aren't incredibly positive? No, it's not, mm. which means that you have to hire less people. You're only hiring the essential. Mm. You're really looking just for, okay, we really need this person in order to accomplish this goal and this goal is going to produce more income. But pretty, I was going to look for another reason as to what the goal would be, but it would pretty much always be that. That is the one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have to take that into consideration. And then you have, I mean, you could talk about things like, oh, their experience and their culture fit and their, all these things are important. They're all important, but they're not going to increase the person's value for that specific role. That role has a value. And if that person comes in and, um, and uh, is exceptionally good, well, they can prove they're worth more. And you always be like, I'm always pro more hiring someone lower and after 12 months, give them a great pay bump because, yeah. okay, you're on the money. It's actually going to cost me more to lose you now because it's just cost so much money to find a new person and do these, pay these fees, the time, then i got to train them. Do I like them again? Like, it, a lot of, you know, fit the team. It's a, it's a big headache. You'd rather get someone in, make sure they're great, then pay them. You know, it's, it's it lift their pay and, and, and base that lift on an accomplishment. So like, hey, you're doing so great. If you accomplish this by this date, we're going to move your, your, your salary up. Yeah. It's that age old motivator, isn't it? Dangling the carrot. And I think but you're give right. Them if the somebody, carrot, if they hit it, if that's they, obviously, yeah. Because yeah, corporates don't give it to them. Very, very true. I, I mean, it is a, a constant um, teaching that we try to give to candidates is it might not be where you want it to be right now, but imagine how much better it will be if in six months you've earned that bump rather than just having negotiated hard for it to begin with. You know your value at that point, which is so invaluable in and of itself. Um, but of course there are a lot of, there's, there is a sense of entitlement in a newer generation of candidates that expects things to come to them from day one we can rail against that as much as we want and go, screw this new generation, you know, they expect everything. Mm. Or we can accept that that is the cultural mindset of that particular age group. So I think there has to be some sort of acceptance of the way things are becoming from employers and also some respect for the way things could be and maybe should be based on best business practice. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be that balance. I just think the best thing is the safest thing. And the safest thing is that you still have a job and that a business <laughs> and a business still operates so that all the people that work for that business still have a job. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, ha it's finding that happy median where it's fair for both parties and providing the ability for employees to make really great money if they're doing a really great job and then the business is doing really good. Like we've, we've like, I believe if a business is doing well, employees should make more money every year. Love that. Absolutely. You know? Great. I'm, I'm a big advocate of that, but that's hard because not every business does, does well. And especially every year, sometimes you go backwards. So it's, it's and what about work from home? That is literally what I was about to bring up. So if you, if you find that meeting somebody at their salary expectations is too difficult from the beginning, the biggest second ask is flexibility and working from home. And we saw a lot of that obviously happening during COVID and companies going, oh, okay, productivity hasn't really dropped. That's great. A lot of companies reported higher productivity. And then we had those that were like, my staff were fucking around doing nothing that they should have whilst working from home. So there was really mixed sentiment in the market. Did you find mixed from any one segment? Like, did you find smaller Let's businesses call it, were more pro work from home and bigger businesses were not? Yes. Yeah, because I saw that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's because it's easier for leaders to keep an eye on their staff when they have less staff to lead. Smaller business, there's just more visibility across somebody's work as well because they typically have a bigger chunk of the pie that they have to contribute to. Whereas if you're a, a small cog in a large machine, you know, you could literally just paddle around without anyone really realising you're not doing as much as you used to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm. I also found that a lot of the business owners that wanted to work from home were very pro working from home. Of course. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was But the ones that had the bigger businesses – were typically wanting to go to the office. So they were like, no, no, <laughs> come back to the office. Like, I was seeing a lot of that. But sorry, you were saying? So they asked for work from home when they 
when they can't get a salary. Yes, and, and even when they can. I think I think those two things are the two things that comprise a person's willingness to give what they have to offer to a company. If you can give me good money and if you can give me a good lifestyle, ta-da, I'll give you what I bring to the table. So we are seeing that that balance of sometimes in the office, sometimes from home is still really acceptable to people. It's not like everyone's liking me four or five days from home and that's just the way it was during COVID and that's what I need now. Okay. So people aren't asking for that. No, they will say two to three days from home. So half my week and allow me to have it flexibly because on some days I might need it more than others. It's just as simple as that. And I think if you can work out a mutual healthy respect between yourself and your leader, then you are well within your rights to ask for that thing. Take take on top of that, if we start to talk DNI um, or diversity and inclusion, a person's requirements for that kind of workplace adjustment based on a disability or anything like that, and I think it becomes a must. I really think any business that's insisting on five days a week in the office is extremely short-sighted and they're going to struggle to recruit. Why is that? Because no one's buying it. The candidates are not picking up what those employers are putting down. Everyone's like, why would I be in the office five days a week? If, if I can cut out my commute even one or two days a week and spend that time working instead or spend it on the lifestyle needs that I have, which gives me back energy and desire to be motivated to work, why wouldn't I take that option? Okay. That's yeah. really interesting. And, and and you're finding most businesses are pretty open to that now. They, they've kind of accustomed. One year ago, no, everyone was stubborn as hell. And now they are like, fuck, you're not wrong. We're not getting the people we need. And we keep hearing the same request over and over again. It's time to adjust for real, not just because of COVID, but this is the new world of work. Yeah. It may be also that like I always think in the tougher times, it's a really good opportunity to improve, to get back your results you want, and then to to be even better when the times get better. So like sales would be a good one. So if it's a tough sales period, improve the sales system to get sales back where you want. And then when the times get better, you're going to be even further than you were previously. Maybe it's the same with recruitment. Maybe when like now is a tough time to recruit. The unemployment rate is so low and there's basically no workforce coming into the country. Like, well, very, not enough anyway. Um, and not enough that have the ability to work full time if you wanted them. Um, um, yeah, what is it saying? Oh, yeah. So they, they like, maybe it's time that company, maybe what companies need to do is get a lot better at advertising to potential employees, you know, and really start creating marketing around joining their team and, and sharing that with people because you, most people that we've hired. So we, we are, we we work from the office five days a week. We've, I, I, I love doing that. I mean, the, if the team needs to work from home for whatever reason, they can, but, but it's the exception. It's not the rule. The rule is we're in and we have a hundred percent retention three years in a row. Wow. And, and most people that we hire, so like two of the three people we hired this year came to us. They wanted to work for us. And, and I think that's, that came from us focusing, like that was a big focus of ours last year, particularly in our like final quarterly meeting. It was we need to start like promoting the team. We need to start showing who works in this team, what we're about, our culture, how nice it is, like all, all the things that make us um, – that make us a company because there's no right or wrong structure that companies can be fully work from home and be amazing. And companies can be fully work fully from the office and also be amazing. I think what's great is that employees now have the option to choose the company that best suits them. And that's what I think is something that's really beautiful in today's I completely page. agree with that. And congratulations on that retention rate. That is unheard of. I think Cub, Cub does Cub really well. I think you have a very clear brand and you communicate that brand beautifully. Your social media messaging is excellent. You know, when you did sort of promote the, the kinds of people coming to the team um, over LinkedIn last year, I was seeing those posts and thinking that's exactly the way I would do it if I were them because you're such a – such a polished business, but at your heart is really good, friendly, delightful people to deal with. And you focused on that rather than just the pure polish of being this business networking facilitator. Um, so well done there. I think, I think at the heart of a company is it's people. And if you're not showcasing that, you're missing an opportunity. Um, but second to that, have you heard of 
an employee value proposition or EVP before January. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I think the, the biggest piece of advice I used to give to my businesses when I worked internally was, yes, I'll help you create your EVP, but you have to give me a promise in return. It's going to be as accurate a reflection of who we are and what we offer as possible. We are not going to try to win the hearts of everybody by pretending we do all the things and we have all the benefits. We are going to give a true story out to the the audience and then whoever resonates with that true story is going to come to us and stay with us most importantly. Because one of the things we hear often as recruiters is I got into the job and the job was not what was sold to me or the company was not what was sold to me and that was that's it. They're out the door. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm not going to be paid to do this thing. I reckon that would happen a lot. Yeah, a lot. So if you are going to market, market your people is advice point number one because they are the people that your candidates will work with. And secondly, market yourself authentically. Don't be afraid to tell it like it is because then you will attract people who like it that way. Be authentic. Like that really is what we're talking about. It's give the people, give share who you are as a team and how you work and give the workforce the ability to be like, that is where I want to work. Like for us, we've never really had an issue with anyone working from the office. You know, we've, 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 I, I actually have never received a complaint for it, but we, we tell everybody like, <laughs> this is how we work. This is what and, we expect. Yeah, and this is why we do that. Yeah. You know, we want to be, uh, I tell them, we want to be successful. We want to be great. Look how good we're already doing. Yeah. We look at the people that have moved up the food chain who are now partners and doing different things. You know, we provide, so, so we appeal more to the people that look for opportunity as opposed to lifestyle. And to, to those people, I say, I literally will say it. I actually said it in a meeting with Laura yesterday with a new team member. Work-life balance is amazing. It really is. But, but work-life balance is amazing when you hate your work. <laughs> you just want to stay away yeah, from it. Yeah, that's when it's great. Oh, I hate my job. I'm going to go sit there and fucking do nothing. And I can't wait to get home so I can do this. When you love your work and you love your life, it's just life. That is There's no so balance. True. It's amazing. Yes. And then second to that, work life or life balance, a great life isn't just given to people. It's mm. earned. Yes, it is. And it comes from hard work and big hours and collaboration and, and, and loss and success. You know, this, it, 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 it's accomplishment. That's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. So if you want, like, if you want that, come work for Cup. <laughs> yeah. I think people will always value more what they earn versus what they're given freely. It's just that the nature of human condition. Um, but I do think that's why that authentic branding is so important. And, and I mean, let's be honest, who else is going to benefit if a, if a brand authentically markets themselves? What other audience are we appealing to? Well, the customer. That's it. Mm. So you're not just attracting the right people to work for you, you're attracting the right people to buy from you who will be happy with what they've purchased, service or product, because you've told them exactly what they're getting and they have signed for that thing. Especially if you're marketing your, your team, like you're showing your team. Because yeah. people are like, wow, I feel like I know them now. Exactly. You know, like it's, it's, it's a really powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. And um, moving forwards with your, with your business – what do you believe is going to be your tra- trajectory? Have you changed your perception of what you wanted from the business at the start or were you on the money when you when you created that? I am very thankfully on the money. I stand true to I don't want to expand for at least the first five years of operating. We are now in year three. Um, and I will allow – here's actually one point that I'm starting to question in terms of the direction of where we recruit is – what is our smallest viable market? Because our focus is A, healthcare recruitment, which is OTs and physios and podiatrists. I did that for a big chunk of my career and I naturally started doing it again once I started the agency. And secondly, general corporate or white collar roles. So that's literally building out any corporate business from their reception through to their executives, anything in between sales, marketing, finance, you know it, we do it. But when you try to be all things to all people, you can sometimes lose your market a little bit. So that might be the one thing that we do um, hone in on is is narrowing our verticals so that we're not recruiting too many things. I agree. It, niche. Yes. Like, being a specialist. Yes. It, it's, and it's harder to do than it sounds because you're like, oh, but then I'm missing out on all these like amazing sales. But 
It's just not the reality. The reality yes. is you're probably going to get more sales Correct. by specialising. Correct. Because you're going to be better at doing it. You're going to be better known for it. And I can't remember what else, but you're going to probably get more sales, you know. There was a fantastic cup webinar that I attended last month and um, the quote that stood out for me was figure out who your biggest thousand fans are, your biggest thousand true fans. And just those thousand true fans are going to be your marketing agency. They're going to talk to other true fans about what it is you have to offer. And that niche will just come to you over and over again if you offer a quality service or product. So that is a big takeaway mm. from Cub. Thank you, Cub. I read, I read, how has Cub been for you? I've loved it. I, I think as a as a very fresh founder, we're talking a year into the business when I first started going to Cub Core groups um, and networking events, I you almost need a little bit of reassurance and validation that the pain that you're going through is is a common pain, not just a you're an idiot and don't know what you're doing pain. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the relatability. Right, yeah. relatability and, yeah, some sort of internal confirmation that actually, yeah, you're okay. This is so normal. These are the growing pains of foundership. So that was hugely helpful. Um, secondly, as a recruiter, it was particularly interesting because everything that I was seeing from my candidate base and my client base was being mirrored in these people that I'd never met before and hadn't worked with before. And I was like, okay, there is a greater trend and pattern at work here. We are on the right track offering the kind of service we do. You know, the same frustrations with agencies kept coming up over and over again inside of Cub. And when I talked about our business proposition, um, it was really well received. And yeah, since since then, I've doubled down on, on our USP. That's interesting. So you were talking to members about what they hate about recruitment agencies and then you were using that information, which, you know, you probably already had, or if you didn't, you, if you did reinforce it and you probably found some new things and you use that then to market and to, you know, I guess not tailor your service because you wouldn't be doing that anyway, but really to emphasize in your marketing communication. To, yes, to, to know that what we're, what we've chosen to do is the, we're on the right track and then we should really pitch it that way because that is actually what business owners need to hear right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find that talking to people randomly about business is like, A, yeah, you get these little highs where your brain starts like talking to people randomly about business is one of the best things you can do, like talking to other business people because your brain goes into these like little highs and like these ideas flow and like nine out of 10 of them is shit, but one of them is great. And like, yeah, at the time they're all great when you're talking, you're so excited, but, but you, you learn new like ways of thinking you, yeah, you get that relatability. Yep. Someone will say something to you like, Oh my God. Yeah. I should think about that. Like just communication. That's why it's so important for business people to just talk to each other. Around. That's what I love about these podcasts. Because I don't get to do it as much as like I, I, I'm not um, able to meet members as much as I was. I have a huge network as all the longstanding members. I've you know I'm, I'm some of them my best friends now. But but um, to to meet new people and to have just like random business discussions, it's just so important. Like as a business person, go get friends that own businesses. Num rule number one. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? And I think what you're you're talking about that in-person collaboration and just that free-flowing conversation is the biggest case an employer can make for having people in the office at least half the week. Because if you're not sitting together and chatting together, it's not just business owner to business owner, right? Staff to staff. Um, there are so many missed opportunities. Uh, I agree. I, look, I my theory on leadership is that if people think and you prove to them that you are the best person to to, to, to be with, like you're the best team. Everyone wants to be on the winning team. No one wants to be on a losing team. You will settle for a losing team if you can not really care about that team and just live your life at home doing whatever. Yeah, okay, if I don't really want like the big career and do whatever, yeah, I'll do that. But but if, if they are someone that is ambitious or does want to do something big, they want to be on the winning team. And if that winning team happened to be in the office and they want to be winner enough – they will be they they will join that team and if your team has enough wins on the board and that leader's proven themselves over and over again and the team that you go in you love them all they're all like they're friends they actually care about each other they go for drinks together all the time they they support each other in life and at work and they have a sense of belonging a sense of value like they're joining your team and they're never leaving and they're not leaving because community is the most important thing in the world relationships, human communities, human, human connection. 
And people often have things go on with their family and people often have things go on with their friends. But the people you're with most are your work colleagues. Absolutely. And if your work is a huge asset to you personally, it makes you feel like you're progressing, getting smarter, you're valued, you're, 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 you have fun, you've got great support and connection, you would never drop it. It's too good, you know. And if you do, you end up begging to come back because, you know, and, and that's, that's people have to back the leader. So, yeah, but that's rare because not all companies um, have that. Yeah, and that in sense which case of camaraderie can, and community. Yeah, and yeah. just winning. Yeah. A, a lot. Yeah. Know, most companies, 98% of companies um, uh, are, are much smaller. Yes. So if you wanted to be in a growing company, you know, it, I get, look, it just depends on what the employee is looking for. Mm. Agreed. That's kind of where I'm, yeah. I should, oh, that was a long rant on that one. But we do have to wrap up. Um, <laughs> now I want to ask you, are, are you a big reader or how do you consume, um, uh, what's it called? Personal, not personal development. like. Oh. Yeah, like how, how do you <laughs> how do you get smarter? I, I do a lot of online learning. So the, the Cub webinar I mentioned, that's like at least a weekly thing. There's some sort of webinar that I attend that pertains to my space. So that's my that's always my professional ongoing learning and development. Oh, great. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. I think if you're not setting aside at least one to two hours to read articles in your space or attend live webinars in your space, you are missing golden opportunities. Even better if you can go one step further and network with those in your industry, which is why Cub is so great for me personally. Um, but then, yeah, just in terms of keeping sharp, I'm a massive geek. So I'm a gamer. I play board games and card games all the time. You know, my parents taught me how to play poker at the age of 12. So I love to play poker and I am a big reader, but I like to go down the escapist route and read fiction in my spare time, not, not business journals or anything like that. Um, more and more people are telling me to start reading fiction. I can't get my head around it just yet, but I'm 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 getting close. When I really you're ready, am. I have a whole list of books <laughs> I can recommend to you based on your movie taste. We'll we'll work with movies first because that's like easily <laughs> consumable short fiction, right? And then we'll yeah. take you onto the world of the page. Done. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Um, and and remind me. Well, you don't need to. I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna connect you to Martin Deneen. Um, from because he does a different style of recruitment too. They focus on EAs, like executive assistants. That's that's pretty much all they do. Perfect. So it could be like there could be a nice partnership there. Yeah. Plus, he's just a beautiful guy. Um, if you want to get in contact with Sabrina, um, to for any reason, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find uh, get in contact with her there. Read her greatest lessons in business, favorite books, favorite quotes, all sorts of things. Plus, uh, see a lot of information about all of our other incredible guests. Um, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's also awesome. Thank you, Sabrina. Thanks so much, Daniel. Hope you enjoyed the show.